Good evening. I'm Michelle Easton, president of the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women. And I hope you all, oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed the dinner. As the person in my home who usually cooks the dinner, I know I really appreciate it when somebody makes me a good dinner. So let's all give thanks to the outstanding people at Lim Catering who prepared and served the meal. Also, a special thanks to Andrew Coffin and his Reagan Ranch staff. And to my good husband, Ron Robinson, who is the president of Young America's Foundation. Thank you for letting us use your beautiful facility, for taking us up to the ranch tomorrow, and for all your help with the summit. Ron, by the way. Oh, go ahead. Ron couldn't be with us. He's home in Virginia. <laughs> Babysitting the grandbabies. He's very good with the children. He gets down on the ground and does that horsey thing. You know, I can't do that. Now, for those of you who weren't with us during the Western Women's Summit today, I'm so happy you could all join us tonight. At Clearbooth Loose, we work to prepare and promote conservative women leaders. Today and tomorrow at the summit, we're hearing from some very impressive ladies who spoke to the uh, young women and the, everybody else that was here. They spoke about life. They spoke about free speech, how to be a better communicator, feminism's betrayal, American exceptionalism, defeating socialism, and they're helping to inspire all these women to become the next generation of America's leaders. We have young women leaders from colleges all over the country with us, and you are an extraordinary group of students. I want to tell you that. This year, the nation is engaged in vigorous policy debates about contrasting visions for our country. It's going to be a great year for Claire Booth Luce as well. Along with outreach to women on campuses, after 25 years, we have a slightly new name. Some of you have noticed. We dropped Policy Institute and made it the Center for Conservative Women. So that's what we really are, a center for conservative women. The left has so many centers for women all over the country, especially on college campuses. But they're not for our women. Women's study centers are for liberal leftist socialist women. And some of the young women here have tried to get a voice for conservative women at their college women's studies. And they've been smacked around pretty good, but they fight on. We'll be opening our newly renovated headquarters in Virginia, our Center for Conservative Women, this fall. And now we'll have enough room right in our headquarters in Northern Virginia to hold some of our conferences and seminars there. We continue to focus on young women in high school and college and provide them with great conservative role models and the information and knowledge about conservative ideas they rarely get at school, in the media, and in the popular culture. And in addition to knowledge, we strive to give them confidence and enthusiasm to fight for freedom, for limited government, and the moral and civic values our founding fathers believed in. We named the center after Claire Booth Luce, a woman who made history as a congresswoman, an ambassador, a journalist, and a playwright. She had a long and successful marriage, children, and deep religious faith. Claire Booth Luce had all the qualities that we'd like to see young women aspire to. Love of country and family and freedom, 
knowledge of critical policy issues, faith, commitment to hard work, and a never give up attitude. I had a chance at lunch to give a sort of a pictorial history of her life. Uh, she was extraordinary. Claire Booth Luce was extraordinary. And I promise you, at the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women, we are helping turn out more leaders like Claire Booth Luce and like our speaker tonight, who are intelligent, informed, courageous, and bold. Now, before I introduce our speaker, I want to acknowledge just a few more of our great women leaders who are here tonight. First, three members of the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women Board of Directors, right here at this table. If all three of you would just stand and let me introduce you. We have Margie Ross and Kate Obenchain from Virginia and Sarah Rinlove from Seattle. They all spoke today at the summit sessions and are a critical part and valued leaders of our Center for Conservative Women. We just couldn't do all that we do without you, ladies. Now, let me introduce the staff and the ones who are with us here. We've been called a lean and mean team. Get a lot done with just a few ladies. They work well as a team, so I want to thank them all publicly for their work on this event. Especially our events director, Camille Hart. Stand up, Camille, don't be shy. There you go, Camille. She had the lead on this event, and I want to tell you, when Camille is running an event for us, I never worry for two seconds that anything will be left undone. And that's a wonderful thing. Thank you, Camille. Our vice president, Jeannie O'Connor, who was at the podium here earlier. There you go. When I'm on the road or traveling the seas, Jeannie takes the con. Jeannie and I are both from Navy families. Take the con is Navy talk for control of the ship's movement. You know, there has to be no ambiguity about who's in charge of the ship's movement when you take the con. So when I'm off traveling, Jeannie takes the con. Next, Cindy Rushing. Where's Cindy? There you go. Cindy is our development director. She's such a key part of, her, of our operation, and I rely on her tremendously. Thank you, Cindy. And her daughter. Where's her daughter? Caroline. Yeah. Caroline got her start as an intern at Claire Booth Luce, and then uh, Yaf snatched her and hired her. And now she's working for a, a wonderful uh, school organization. Caroline, we're happy you're with us. Kara Bell, where's Kara? Kara is our newest staffer, <clears throat> like three weeks, four weeks, I guess. And she runs our PR, and she spent most of today um, getting fabulous tapings of our incredible women speakers um, to really do neat little pieces uh, for the next few months on our social media and other places. Thank you so much for that, Kara. And finally, Elizabeth Campbell, our program officer, who's she's responsible for having these 100-plus incredible women students from all across America. Elizabeth is leaving our staff next week for a position with another company. But you've certainly finished with a bang here. This summit was your magnum opus. And I want to thank you so much for that. And for those of you here who support our work, new and old supporters, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
You are making a difference in the lives of so many future leaders for America, and we just couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. It's now my honor to introduce a truly great American conservative woman who every day stands strong for conservative principles, Senator Marshall Blackburn. We honored her in 2016 with our Woman of the Year Award, and when I went to visit her in her congressional office, I was so happy. Right at the entrance, she had a big framed picture of receiving that award, um, and it was, it was great to give it to you and great to see it there. And she's been a good friend to us at Claire Bethel. She's helped us in different ways, and she's so appreciative of all the young women we work with. She was first elected as a Tennessee state senator in 1998, and her Senate career included leading a state grassroots campaign to defeat a proposed state income tax. Yay! Why do you think so many people leave New York and California <laughs> and Illinois and move to Tennessee? She was responsible in large part that Tennessee still has no income tax. She came to Washington to represent Tennessee's 7th Congressional District in 2002, and she quickly became a leader, uh, leader in the U.S. House. She was the fourth woman elected to Congress from Tennessee, but the first not to serve as a stand-in for her husband. She has served on the U.S. House of Representatives Majority and Minority Whip teams, and served as chairman of the key Energy and Commerce Committee on Communications and Technology. Senator Blackburn has earned a special reputation as a leader and policy expert on telecommunications issues and intellectual property rights. She has a unique skill that is a bipartisan expertise in defending songwriters and performers' rights. She's from Nashville. You know, all those fine country musicians. And she has strong ties with Tennessee's recording industry and the songwriters and the performers who make it so great. She now lives just by Nashville in Minnie Pearl's old house. Do you all know her? <laughs> and she has an applied piano minor in college. She's right at home representing many of the nation's most popular singers and songwriters. And as a US Senator now, she serves on Commerce, Judiciary, Armed Services, and Veterans Committee. And just like Claire Booth Luce, throughout her career, Congressman Blackburn, Senator Blackburn, <laughs> has been a passionate supporter of the right to life. She believes every life is precious and that we must work to build a culture that respects the right to life. She's led fights to defend the nation's largest abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, and she was the chair of the House Select Investigative Panel on Infants' Lives that was tasked with gathering information about the medical and business practices of abortion providers and organizations who sell baby body parts. She's a great role model for young women with a wonderful husband, two terrific children, and now grandchildren. She graduated in 1974 from Mississippi State University, paid her way through college on a 4-H scholarship, and by selling, by selling books. <laughs> yep, I got it here. Well, uh, it was door to door. It was called, it was called uh, Southwest, Southwest Company, right? And uh, she's a bold and persistent fighter for conservative principles. She's someone that so many Americans, especially young women, are inspired to look to 
as an example when it comes to courageously speaking out, something we talked a lot about today, and working as hard as you can for what you believe in. Now, many on the left, especially in the universities and in our popular culture, pretend not to be aware of amazing achievements of women like Marshall Blackburn. Instead of praise, you all know this is from your colleges, conservative women are often ridiculed or marginalized. Sometimes they're savaged by radical feminists and left-wing leaders and groups and by many in the media. But at the Center for Conservative Women, we're eager to celebrate and promote the achievements of conservative women leaders. We know they represent millions of women across the country who believe in traditional values, who believe that peace from America comes through our strength and that our rights come from God, not from government. And that's what makes America an exceptional country. Senator, I want to thank you for all you're doing as a conservative leader for America and for inspiring so many women to be bold and strong with your devotion to hard work and principles. And thank you, too, for leaving your important business in Tennessee and Washington, D.C. to come and speak to our summit here in California. Will you all please join me now in welcoming our banquet speaker tonight from the great state of Tennessee, Senator Marshall Blackburn. Thank you all so much. My goodness, what fun is this? I love it. Are y'all having fun? Okay, now I know we've got some Tennesseans here, but and I'm sure some other we've got somebody from Georgia. Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. And all y'alls is plural possessive. So there you go. Now you can understand what I'm going to say. But, you know, I, I have to tell you, first of all, a thank you to Claire Booth Luce and the center and the work that they do to open doors for women and to provide opportunity and to recognize women who are working hard. And I want to say a thank you to each of you for taking the time to be here, to learn how to be not only citizens, but to be citizen activist. And that is so vitally important in today's world. And it's, you know, it's a part of building your brand and building your power and learning how to use that. And I always, um, how many of you liked Margaret Thatcher? Oh, I know. One of my faves. Uh, she would always say, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell someone you are, you aren't. So it's a good thing uh, to to remember, and I think it's important, too, to realize that sometimes, not only today, but throughout our nation's history, there have been times when women were told that they could be seen but not heard. So you'll find, as a conservative woman, sometimes that's the environment, and I'm sure some of you experience that on your college campuses, and know that many times your opinion is not welcomed, uh, but I think it's important to give it anyway. And um, <clears throat> I do. 
Um, we've got great role models. We've talked about Claire Booth Luce, and then you think about people like uh, Susan B. Anthony and what she did. Uh, the 19th Amendment was called the Susan B. Anthony Amendment. And think about that as we're coming up on 100 years when that cleared Congress and 2020, of course, will be 100 years of women getting the right to vote. But, you know, you think about people like Susan B. Anthony and Jean Kirkpatrick, Margaret Thatcher, as we've said, and other conservatives, and they found a way to have their voices heard. And I will tell you, I truly believe that freedom and liberty is enhanced by conservative women having been in that fight for freedom and liberty and finding a way to get their voices heard. And many times it's because of perseverance that those voices are heard because you find that you are working against the establishment you're working against the media. You're working against the cultural mores. And you have to find your way through that. And it's because of working and finding our way through that that I was able to win my election and be the first female from Tennessee to ever serve in the U.S. Senate. So I encourage you to do that. Um, and I found it so interesting. We've got uh, some of our, our um, friends on the other side of the aisle who are choosing to run for president. And we had one today that was in the news um, who said that the social, and I'm quoting, the social norms are changing. And I have to tell you, I think it's about time that some people came around to the future. And maybe it's time for the good old boys, all you men in the room accepted, to make room for the great new gals, and you all are the great new gals. And I think that it's important to note that women are entering politics in record numbers. I want you to think about your communities and think about the women that are serving on boards and commissions, the women that are serving on the city commission, the county commission, that are serving in our state legislatures. Do you know we have more Republican women serving in state legislatures, conservative women that are serving than ever before. And they're moving through the ranks. I have to tell you, I think for conservatism, our bench is very strong. And a lot of that strength is found in the women that are stepping up and they are making the preparation that is going to be necessary. And I want to encourage you all to be a part of getting out there and, and being a part of changing the face and the expected nature 
of public service by raising your hand and being a part of this. One of the things you'll learn is um, all issues are women's issues. All issues are women's issues. And it is so important to keep that in mind. Last week I was reading something in the Wall Street Journal and I just sort of chuckled because CNN had had a survey and it was uh, the issues that their viewers cared about. You know what the top three issues were? Economy, immigration, and health care. Think about that. Yeah. Cleta's got that one right, I pegged. Not the Mueller report, not Russia, not all these other things, but the economy, immigration, and health care. And the reason I think people all across the spectrum care about those issues is because it affects them where they live and where they work and it affects their daily lives. So, and I will have to tell you, um, I know not everyone agrees with what President Trump says, but, and sometimes he gives some, some, some pause, but as one of my constituents uh, in Tennessee said last week, you absolutely cannot argue with the results and what he is delivering. So, when you look at what happens when you have focused leadership and what we were able to accomplish in two years and beginning, first of all, with the uh, tax cuts that were passed in 2017, and then you couple that with the reduction in regulations that we were able to do. Those have absolutely changed our nation's economy. The economy is booming, uh, and for women, the environment is great. I brought some stats I wanted to share with you. This is American Express's 2018 State of Women on Business report. How many of you someday want to own your own business? Raise your hand. A lot of hands that are up here. Be your own boss. Run your own show. Absolutely. Okay. Now, in 2018, there were 12.3 million companies owned by women in the U.S. Compared to 1972, when there were only 402,000 companies owned by women in the U.S. Now, think about that. What has happened for opportunity for women and the skills that they are, are developing. In 2018, the report also found that women employed more than 9.2 million people. 9.2 million Americans work as employees of a female-owned company and they generated 1.7 trillion in revenue. Now, 
this is something that has changed the lives of many families. And when you look at what has happened with the policies that we have put in place in Washington, three million new jobs created, 7.3 million job openings right now, last month's jobs report, 7.3 million jobs in this country, coast to coast, east to west, top to bottom, that many jobs, 3.1% wage growth. For the first time in a decade, we are seeing wage growth. Uh, Gallup, not exactly a conservative organization, but Gallup ran a poll, um, a survey last month, 57% of all Americans surveyed said the economy was either excellent or good. 69% said now was the best time to find a high-quality job. That is what you call optimism. And that is the kind of policies that we need to move, move forward with. We had uh, the lowest unemployment ever for Asian Americans, African Americans, Hispanics, and female unemployment was at a 50-year low. That is, yes, that does deserve applause. You're right. Um, and I would encourage you all to pay attention to, to the policy issues that are going on. And I have given Kara and Camille business cards, my business cards, so you all can get one and sign up for my newsletter and stay in touch on issues. And there are some things that I think are vitally important on the issue front that we tackle also. One of mine has been closing the digital divide and making certain that we have high-speed internet into rural America because you simply cannot have 21st century jobs, education, or health care without access to high-speed internet. And in some areas, uh, we have areas in Tennessee that still are not able to get it. And uh, making certain that individuals have it. In my congressional district, we had um, some areas where the kids would take the bus home from school, mom would come home from work, they would grab dinner, and then they would drive back into town, sometimes 15 or 20 minutes, so that they could get to a hospital or a McDonald's parking lot and the kids could do homework and get it sent in. So this is one of those things that will add to our growth. It is the right kind of policy for conservatives to be for because you're helping to open doors and open opportunities and educate. And we know that freedom and freedom's cause depends on a well-informed and educated electorate. And we want to make certain that, that we do that. I want to encourage you all on just a, a few things that I hope you will spend some time kind of doing a deeper dive for yourselves. 
as you attend um, a conference. How many of you, this is the first conference you've been to that deals with issues and policies? Several of you. I hope you come back. And as you do conferences, um, I want you to remember just a, a very few things. And um, I always say, never forget Hamlet's phrase, to thine own self be true. And this is vitally important. Know who you are, know what you're made of, know what you believe, and attending a conference like this helps you to better define yourself and to define the issues that you want to talk about and that you want to, to focus on. And I would encourage you to learn who you really are. And the reason you want to do that is because issues are going to change, the president is going to change, elected officials are going to change, uh, the media sooner or later, the media is going to change. And with all these changes, what you want to do is be able to know what your mooring is and stick with your principles. So you're going to have plenty of times to test those principles, believe you me. And what you want to know is that you are able to articulate what you believe and why you believe that. So be true to yourself on this and use these conferences as a way to build your brand and to hone your message and to know a little bit more about how to define yourself. Uh, another thing that would be a, a point of encouragement to you all is don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Take some risk. I can guarantee you that companies in this country are not looking for people who have never failed. What they're looking for is people who have never given up trying. And that is what voters in this country want. They want people who never give up trying to solve a problem, to find a better way. That's what they're looking for. So remember to, to take that risk and then take the responsibility that comes when you take that risk. When my kids were growing up and they would have a bad day and they'd be so upset, I would tell them there is no such thing as a failed test. No such thing as a failed test. The important thing is what did you learn? Or as Winston Churchill would have said, courage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. <laughs> so keep that, keep that in mind. I, I have a friend. Michelle mentioned that I'm from Nashville. Any of you ever been to Nashville? Yeah. A lot of you have. You got a favorite country singer out there? Yeah, listen to that. All right. <laughs> we could go down that little pig trail for a while, couldn't we? 
talk about these country singers. Uh, anyway, I have a good friend who has written some songs and is a pretty good author. And I asked her one day why she chose to move from up north to Nashville. And she said, I got to tell you, Nashville is a great place to fail. I said, what? She said, it is a great place to fail. It is a creative, innovative community. And she said, you know, people sit down, they write a song, they throw it up on the wall. It's a flop. They sit down, they write another song, and they throw it up on the wall. And they try it again. And she said, it is a great place to be creative. And you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. So do not be afraid to fail. Get out there. Try things. Be creative. And dream those big dreams. Find a way to make them come true. Okay. Leaders raise up other leaders. Do not be afraid to call yourself a leader. How many of you have ever defined yourself as a leader? Good. I like seeing those hands. That is you. Define yourself as a leader. Take that role. That's something a lot of women are a little bit shy about doing. They'll say, well, I've got friends. I've got a circle of influence. But they don't call themselves a leader. You are a leader or you would not be in this room. And raise up other leaders. Pull them. You should always have someone who is mentoring you, and you should always be mentoring somebody. Have a mentor assign you a task, and you turn around and you sign a task to someone that you are mentoring. Two things I want you to remember. TEAM is an acronym. Together, everyone achieves more. It's important. And the second one is BEST is an acronym. Better every single time. So if you're a team and your goal is to do your best, together you're going to do better every single time. Now, what if that was the approach to public policy? You think we might get a little bit more done <laughs> instead of arguing? I think so too. I certainly do. Okay, now, don't be afraid to knock on doors. We're taught in Luke, seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. And yes, I did sell books to work my way through college. And it helped me get over my fear of knocking on doors. And believe you me, if you are going to be in the political realm, you are going to knock on a whole lot of doors. And in my campaign in Tennessee, we knocked on one and a half million doors. You're going to knock on some doors. <laughs> Actually and figuratively, you are going to knock on doors. But if you're not asking for opportunity, you are not going to get opportunity. So knock on those doors. Wait for them to be open. And then, as you are knocking on those doors, prepare. Preparation makes every task look easy. Think about people who look like 
things are so easy for them. Could it be that they're, they've spent a lot of time preparing? You know, in the music world, we talk a lot about overnight successes. Somebody that just kind of waltzes out there and the song just kind of comes out and it seems so effortless. And people will say, oh, they're just an overnight success, but no. They've probably sung that song 10,000 times. And they have practiced over and over for years and decades in order to make something look effortless. So prepare well so that when those doors open, your preparation and your opportunity meet and you can produce an absolutely stunningly magnificent result that will serve you so well. Thank you all so much. Okay, question time, right, Michelle? Okay, somebody's got a hand up. The eager beaver over here. First hand up. Hello, my name's Rose, and I'm going to American University in the fall. Um, I want to say thank you for speaking to us and also um, how passionately pro-life you are. So um, recently in the Senate, the like Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act failed, and I wanted to ask because the public recent polls have shown that um, they're against third trimester abortions, and right. but the politicians voting on these acts seem to have such a different opinion. Um, I wanted to ask you why you think that is. Uh, you know, I I think, and I Cleta probably has a good a good thought on this too, and you might want to talk with her at some point. She's worked on some of these issues for quite a while. I think that many times politicians um, made that that thought of that's where they were going to be, and at one point it was very very popular to be pro-choice. The life issue is one where science has been able to define that those decisions many times were wrong. And when I talk to friends of mine who always said, oh, well, I'm pro-choice, and I don't think that uh, government should interfere and women should get a, uh, uh, be able to have an abortion whenever they want one, once their child went in for an ultrasound and they heard the heartbeat and they saw that picture, then they change their mind. And science has really uh, been very, very helpful in this area. I, I think this is an er something that, when you look at core values, uh, challenging individuals, some people that represent you, if they say they're pro-abortion, if they're for late-term abortion. Uh, because of the work I did leading the select investigative panel, I have legislation right now, uh, it's filed in the House and the Senate, and it would eliminate the ability of abortion providers to get Title X funds, which is funds for women's health. Many times you'll hear it talked about as defunding Planned Parenthood, but it is anyone that provides abortion. We have 13,000 community health centers in this country. We have 655 abortion clinics. 
and abortion is not health care. And we need those uh, community health centers to have access to those funds so that they do the greatest good and serve the largest number of women, which is my goal, to make certain that they have access to quality health care that is going to help improve their lives. Yeah. Yes. Right here in the middle. Hi. Hi. Senator Blackburn, you look amazing, by the way. I just wanted to tell you that. Well, thank you. You look so pretty. Um, I'll take that because I got up at about 4 o'clock this morning. <laughs> and it's been a very long day. <laughs> My name is Ellie Hicks, and I go to Georgia College and State University um, sure. in Milledgeville, Georgia. No one knows where that is, but anyway. Okay. I know where Milledgeville, Georgia is. Ooh, I'm so happy. Okay, because um, I tell people that, and they're like, where? I'm like, yeah. um, go Bobcats. Uh, my question um, is, who, what conservative women, woman do you admire, either past, present, whatever? Oh, you know, we've got so many. I talked about some. You, uh, By the way, there is a great book on passage of the 19th Amendment. You know, Tennessee was the 36th state to ratify the 19th Amendment, and that's how it became law. And an author, Elaine Weiss, has written a book called The Woman's Hour, and it's about all the suffragists who came to Tennessee the summer of 1920 to work on passage. And when you go through and read about the suffragists and the work that they did, I think it's absolutely amazing. And you cannot help but to be inspired. And I have a bill we're going to do that will have, uh, we're going to have a silver dollar coin to recognize um, the centennial celebration of women's suffrage next year. But um, Margaret Thatcher also, I had a wonderful opportunity. I had been invited to be the spring guest lecturer at Oxford University for the Oxford Union about, I guess, three years ago. And I was talking about technology policy. And while I was there, I was invited over to Cambridge to speak on the same issue. And there, they have some of Lady Thatcher's um, uh, her archives, and had the opportunity to go in those one day, and it was just such an honor to get to find out a little bit more about what made her tick, and I um, thoroughly enjoyed that. You know, uh, we've had some women in Tennessee who have uh, worked long and hard in, in the conservative movement, and they're all, each and every one, an inspiration because they told, just really toiled away at working hard without recognition. And they did all of that for the right reason. They did it for their children and the grandchildren. They did it for freedom, free people, free markets. And um, that is what is so vitally important. So... You know, they're the ones that are the true inspiration. Yeah. Somebody else? All the way in the back. Yeah, uh, Neil and Nancy Rasmussen. We're an old 4-H family. Wonderful. And I noticed that one of your bona fides was 4-H. Yes, it was. I, was. I was wondering what your projects were. 
Um, you're going to love this. <laughs> and how you figure that helped you become a senator. Yeah, the first. And how you keep track of kids that go through the same program you went to, along with the, the uh, Reagan Center and the Claire Booth Luce and others, how do you keep track of those kids? So when they grow up, you've got a spot for them as an intern or whatever job comes up. We keep track of kids, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> we sure do. Um, yes, I did uh, grow up in uh, 4-H club. I grew up in South Mississippi, grew up on a farm. And uh, my first trip to Washington, D.C. was for 4-H club citizenship short course. And then I went back uh, the next year for 4-H leadership, um, whatever they called it. And um, my national scholarship that I won was in food preservation. Now, I can can. <laughs> Don't you laugh. How dare you? I can can tomatoes with the best of them. I can. And I loved every minute of it, and it's absolutely hilarious because I love to cook. And um, then every summer, my kids are so funny. They say, Mom, you won't order groceries online because you like to pick out your own lettuce. And um, yeah, I um, go to the farmer's markets and buy things and still will you know, stick something in the freezer simply because it's fresher and I like the way it tastes. And I feel like it's healthier. So anyway, there you go. Yeah, somebody over here, right here. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm... Is this on? Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm McKenna Graves, and I go to Ashland University in Ohio. And you talked in your speech about a CNN poll that polled their audience and mm -hmm. said that they cared about econo the economy, immigration. And I was wondering how... Healthcare, that was the third, the third one. And then you also spoke about how if, we're, if we work as a team, we mm -hmm. can get a lot more done. How can we as young conservative women and conservatives in general work with the left that's so seeming unwilling to compromise? I think there is always value in having good conversations. One of my favorite quotes, and I think there's a, a tremendous amount of wisdom in this, uh, Frederick Douglass, and you can Google him later, uh, very involved um, in making certain, in the abolitionist movement and then also women's suffrage and the Seneca Falls Convention, had a great, a great phrase. He said, I, I will always unite with someone to do right and with no one to do wrong. And that is a great way to stay open-minded about finding solutions and inviting individuals to have a conversation with you. The way you grow your tent, the way you build your team, is by taking that time to invest in helping someone think through a process 
and helping them be able to define a problem and then be able to, um, to find a solution that meets with their principles. I like to say, I get up every day to go work on five things, faith, family, freedom, hope, and opportunity. The decisions that I make, are they going to expand freedom? Are they going to contract freedom? And I want to do things that are going to enrich and expand freedom's cause. If taxes go up, you lose some freedom. If government increases regulation, you lose some freedom. So that's my view and how I look at it. So someone else over here had a hand up. There you go. Hi, I'm Laurel Smith from Georgetown University. And originally I come from rural Kansas. And so what you said earlier about rural broadband struck me because I've experienced issues like that. And so I was wondering how you work with um, advocacy groups, probably like the NTCA and other organizations, in order to kind of combat these issues and what you plan on doing in the future. Uh, well, we're continuing some of that good work, FCC, NTIA, NTCA. Um, and it is one of those things that is best solved uh, with the private sector working with public entities. What you do not want is government-controlled internet. Can you, you know, it's amazing every time somebody says, well, the government should come in and do that. I said, last time I checked, the internet, it's working fine. It is not broken. It does not need the federal government's help. You know, they will mess it up. So what we need to do is make certain that um, companies that we have removed regulatory barriers. And in my work as chairman of Comms and Tech, that's what we put our focus on. How do you get government out of the way so that this county, this city can go partner with their local exchange carrier, partner with the electric power co-op? You know, those are the things that help to close that digital divide. And that's what has to be done in order for people to be able to work and live where they want to work and live and have access to the world at their fingertips. You're welcome. All right. Over here. I feel like an auctioneer. Over here, over here. Question, oh, my question is a little bit relevant uh, to the people sitting in this room, but it's about the student loan debt. So mm -hmm. um, the cost of college has gone way, way up over the past 20 years. It's more than doubled. Meanwhile, the value of the education, I believe, has seriously diminished. I mean, I just graduated from the University of California, Irvine. A lot of the people that are in my class that graduated with me, they're applying for jobs that they're way overqualified for and still not even getting them. So you have this education that's, that's straddling these young people with an, an enormous amount of debt, and they're not getting jobs that they're able to right. make a living off of and pay these debts. So, you know, it, it, and it's not a state problem. It's, it's every college everywhere. So is there anything that you have an idea for to potentially solve this? Well, one of the things that happened under... Uh, the last, the previous administration was that they chose to federalize the student loan program. And when they did that, the cost of those loans escalated. And the interest rate on those 
<coughs> pardon me, on those loans uh, went up. So that is one of the problems. Another of the problems is the structure of uh, how colleges cost out this education. And uh, it's, you know, when you're going to have sabbatical years and teaching so few classes. And Kate, have you written, you've written some on this, haven't you? Yes. That's, right. So read some of Kate's writings and um, some of the things that she's written on this because all of that goes into the cost of receiving an education. We just had a great governor's race in Tennessee. And one of the components of this was returning um, skills education to high schools and then looking at technology schools for some students. Not everybody needs a four-year degree. And some students want to be able to have a skill that they can get out there and work and then further their education. So uh, I think there are some good things that are going to come forward. These ideas are going to come forward from the states, and you're going to see different states uh, push forward with this. I think it's going to be interesting to see what we do in Tennessee. All right, last question. Who's got their hand up? Right here. The blue. Purple, blue. It's blue. Purple, blue. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Jamie. I go to Kennesaw State University. And my question's a little off topic, but given that you're from an area that has such a heavy focus on music and the arts in general, how do you think conservatives need to, I guess, kind of empower each other to not only appreciate the arts, but also to be involved in them? Because there's such a leftist bias in arts across the board. I think that you... If you look at just what is coming from the left coast or New York, but we don't see that. My church is full of talented musicians and writers and performers, and uh, they're using their talents every single day, every single day. And um, we've got... And we encourage, we encourage that. I have been, before going to Congress, uh, I have served as chairman of different arts organizations, the visual arts and the performing arts. And this is something that we should be encouraged. God gives you a talent. And God expects you to use that talent for his glory. So we should celebrate that. And we should uh, use those talents. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love that you are seeing so much movement in the independent television, independent film uh, industry, a lot of good um, pro-family films that are being made. And I think you find that community of artists that you feel at home with, and then you go do something wonderful and uh, reach a lot of lives and impact a lot of people through it because um, you probably have a bigger sphere of influence, and you ought not to be afraid to try something and fail, 
And you should realize you are a leader. Thank you.